so you stop nicotine, but not even caffeine. No caffeine. Damn, my dude Toby over here is like a friggin' monk or something, man. <laughs> that's impressive, bro. You should be proud of yourself. Thanks. I think that's pretty cool. Sorry, I did have to take some NyQuil last night, so I'm not 100% sober. Dear Lord. <laughs> I unfortunately did have to uh, pick up some alcohol myself. It's been many months since I've found myself in the bottle, but I had a little uh, home surgery procedure to take care of, so the dual purpose is useful there, uh, antiseptic and anesthetic, so very helpful. Yeah, you can pour it on your skin and then pour it in your mouth. It, it just helps with the mess, you know, it's real messy, man. But <laughs> anyways, welcome back to the second episode of Raised by the 90s. I'm here with Toby Freeze. I'm Peter Z. How was your week, Toby? Good, good. How about yours? Pretty good. Two days in a row, I've gotten a free Slurpee, so that uh, made me feel a bit like a kid again, you know? Mm -hmm. So, what did you think of this week's movie? Uh, blank check. It was great. I still like it. <laughs> How would you summarize this one? Just to refresh our listeners' memory. Babes, toys, and video games. A 12-year-old boy's fantasies come true after he commits check fraud against a man laundering money through an inept bank president. <laughs> well said. Yeah, yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. And um, our main cast is Quigley is the bad guy with the money, and he uses Biederman and his muscle juice to try and achieve his ends. And after him is the FBI, which Shay actually works for undercover as a bank teller. And then lastly is uh, Preston and his family. Tell us a bit about them, Toby. Uh, so Preston and his family has a bit of an interesting family dynamic where Preston feels he's uh, underappreciated and... I mean, the movie pretty much starts out with his brothers kicking him out of his own room to use as their operations for their new business, and his father fully supports this. Yeah, his father operates under this uber-capitalist system, and I don't think uh, he just feels underappreciated. He might actually be, but um, his dad is almost proven correct in the end of the film to an extent. So, yeah, it creates a weird dynamic. And, um, for, for example, in the beginning, uh, his parents not only make him go to his bully's birthday party, but they don't give him any extra money to ride rides. So he's sitting there watching people he doesn't like laugh at him while they have fun. So it's, it's a very odd family situation. The, his brothers are hilarious, though. Yeah, definitely. One of them is actually uh, David Faustino's brother uh, from Married with Children. Oh, yeah, I can see so that. It's, it's funny how his career didn't really take off as much as David's did. That's true. Um, I never groaned at, like, child acting. There was maybe one line. I think the kid did a good job, the actor who played Preston. Yeah. And, of course, the dad has shown up in tons of different little parts i know he's the uh, expert witness in my cousin Vinny, and also appears in the finale of seinfeld as a lawyer as well yeah definitely i think this movie had two 90s powerhouses with him and uh, miguel ferrer who's you know twin peaks and yeah all that good stuff and and tone loke 
I, I, I didn't remember mm-hmm. that he was in the film. Not that he's some big star, but I did recognize the name. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, he was... He was one of my favorite parts of the movie and oh, Ace, yeah. and Ace Ventura. So yeah, that, that's yeah, that's where I recognize him from too. And yeah, did you did you see uh, one of the brothers' shirts said "Shoot hoops, not drugs"? Like, <laughs> no, I did not. Oh, I want I want that shirt so bad because like that's such a '80s, early '90s approach to it, where you know I think there really was you know widespread heroin use and stuff but like it it comes off as a joke nowadays like oh yeah definitely i wonder if you can screen print that shirt probably or find uh find it on ebay we found on the uk ebay a version of the kids wrestling club that my dad started we found one of our shirts on there like retro vintage wrestling shirt from America and we're like what? It's like I have 20 of these. Dude, it's crazy the stuff you can find on eBay. Yeah, uh, dude. I, my dad had a band back in Chicago back in the late 70s yeah. early 80s and you can go on there and look and find 45 reprints of singles and actually a full vinyl album from a uh, local radio. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty dope. That's a pretty cool thing to be able to say about your dad, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I bought the vinyl, so... Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, definitely. That's a cool thing to have. Um, the beginning of the film starts pretty strong. Would you agree? Oh, no, it really does. And that that score underneath uh, with that, you know, the, the piano and the bells and everything, just super spy vibe. Yeah, I really dug that opening music it had uh it had some things that felt like they were modern electronic music sensibilities like a siren sound being very prominent for one thing it was a total shock i had forgotten that this scene and the rest of it was even in the movie i just remember the kid getting a bunch of money how about you yeah same here i didn't realize the whole crime aspect of the movie was so prominent because, I mean, obviously, when you're five years old and you're watching this, you really only care about what toys and video games the kid's playing. Yeah. And the ice cream garbage pail that he's eating. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I might have done things a little bit differently, but when did you first see the film? Because part of the reason I say that is I think I saw it two or three years after release and in those days of gaming i didn't really see the need for an arcade cabinet how about you when did you first see it yeah i saw it on a short-lived family movie night that we had when it first released in 94 my sister had scribbled the name on the little whiteboard and kind of had like a movie theater feel to it Ah, so it it was pretty good time that's fun to do it like that that's cool all i remember from my first exposure was there was a cue in the word check and upon researching it, I found out that's the European release. So I, I guess I may have watched a, a bootleg that I got from the corner store on the south side of the city. <laughs> so it, I had a lot of fun watching it as a kid. I'll say that. Yeah, same here. I mean, just that fantasy world kind of yeah, takes you by storm when you're that age. Yeah, you were saying yeah. those toys and stuff really stuck with you. Yeah, I Oh yeah, definitely. I have to agree like the fountain scene stuck out in my brain and all the goofy backyard inflatable antics 
where uh, mm-hmm. it seemed like a, th- those things I was able to remember easily compared to the rest of the plot. Um, oh, and as far as the music, I thought I recognized the name Nicholas Pike, but after looking through his filmography, you know, I had never seen uh, Chud 2, Bud the Chud, but uh, no shade. <laughs> he 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 provided some really interesting and cool music for this film. There there was a lot of licensed songs at the end, mm-hmm. but um, the original score was overall real solid and good mixing and sound effects too, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And there was also the obligatory uh, "I Want Candy" song thrown in <sighs> in uh, one of the shopping sprees, which I'm pretty sure was prevalent in almost every '90s kids film. Dude, that that garbage was stuck in my head for a good day and a half after we watched this film. <laughs> yeah, I kept thinking that. The next thing uh, I really noticed as far as the film progressed, this whole FBI plot, how they found a way to get the kid money in a way that he's not legally implicated, like it was stolen in the first place, that flew right over my head as a kid. But as an adult, a lot of the humor was there with the interactions with Biederman and Quigley being an absolute dunce of a convict, <laughs> escaped convict. Yeah, I, I mean, it was almost paradoxical because Quigley and Juice were simultaneously smart and dumb at the same time. You might say that. They had some moments in the sh- in the movie where uh, they were calling out some of Preston's bullshit, but... Yeah. Nobody else was. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, you have Carl Quigley, who's an escaped convict, who's just kind of rolling around town, you know, signing checks with his real name. Yeah, he he was pretty irresponsible. And it really, just seeing people writing and cashing checks and all that stuff, man, I mean, maybe we should talk about this for a minute. It just really, this movie has ultra 90s tech on display you know what i mean like just not not oh, tech yeah. but like you know when's the last time you signed a a, a a monetary thing besides your credit card on the back i mean peter i wrote a check just about four weeks ago so. really <laughs> yep all right grandpa you know one of these days <laughs> hey look at sometimes you don't want to overutilize your credit you know I mean, I think a lot of people still pay rent with checks and stuff, but like the idea of going into Jewel and paying for your groceries with a check, you know, all all over the place. It was totally normal. It's just so foreign to me now. Yeah, definitely. And seeing like the the matrix of CRT TVs, I mean, it looks awful. You could just have a projector nowadays. Yeah, seriously. I guess whoever hosted the movie night was uh, way ahead of the curve doing it that way rather than trying to stack four CRTs to imitate a big screen. Man, I believe if we had four CRTs in our house at that time, we would have. And if we had the know-how to string them all together into one big screen. I, I was kind of curious about the tech that you have to use to reroute an analog TV signal like that to all these different screens that's a good question also 
Imagine Quigley's doing it today. Like any digital transaction is going to just be tracked instantly. If it, you know, they might track his iPhone. They might, I mean, he's driving around in a Jaguar. Like what, what is this guy doing? I think you mentioned this when we were speaking beforehand. Maybe if it did take place today, he would have a backup cam and the whole premise of the movie wouldn't happen. So that's fair too. But, uh, (laughs) but again, if he would have just, you know, looked behind him instead of just flooring the gas pedal (laughs) down, reversing in a parking lot, I mean, uh, he probably wouldn't have hit Preston's bike. The bike is lying on its side, and I'm not trying to excuse uh, any of uh, Quigley's actions here, but um, I don't think he would be able to see it. If anything, he would see Preston, who got out of the way, and if you see anything like that in your rear view, you slam on the brakes. But we have, we've already established that Quigley is uh, reckless. Which, if you really think about it, you'd think Quigley would have changed his identity the moment he escaped from prison. So I thought about this a lot, probably more than you, based on what I'm about to show you. I'll share this in the document. I was thinking he's gonna, he would have to change his name, change his face. Yeah. So I, I that led to me making a whole punished Quigley meme. A man denied his million. <laughs> That's hilarious. Someone else is Quigley now. <laughs> I hope I find that on the internet somewhere else someday. And if you want to see that, I will be posting it on our Twitter. And if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll, I'll, I'll pop that up on screen. Um, back to the story. The, the way Preston gets all this money is uh, Quigley's in a hurry to escape the cops who are driving by, and he leaves him with a blank check. And um, you know what, Toby? I'm not sure I should have watched this film. Oh, yeah, why is that? Kind of got in big trouble from the scenes that take place shortly after that. Um, What'd you do, Peter? Oh, oh, what didn't I do? Well, let's just say there are other things you can scan and alter on a computer. And if this kid was doing it in 1994, when I was in middle school, I knew I was certainly capable of uh, doing it to my uh, report card. So, um, yeah, Mm. I got in big trouble for that. And not like not because I did a bad job. They bought it. Yeah. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, but a teacher got in contact for a whole different reason, and they were like, "No, he got a he got a C." And I was like, "Oh shit, I'm busted." What class was this in? Oh, I I changed a couple of them, but it was math that got me busted. Uh, you know, I was um I was taking math at the highest level with the next grade up. And, you know, a, a C there is, is bad. You know, I'm a bad student. Gosh. <laughs> but no, I'm just playing. Um, expectations were high. Put it that way. That's okay, Peter. I failed uh, earth science in ninth grade and had to take uh, summer school for it. And to be honest, after taking summer school for failing that class, I would have just done it again because our final in summer school for ninth grade earth science was just to show up and watch jurassic park and can you believe it that two students didn't show up and failed their final that's that's insane (laughs) that's like wow yeah why would you not yeah i aced summer school i was gonna say my experience in summer school in high school to like get some credits out of the way or whatever was pretty positive it wasn't a bad time you know no, it wasn't. It was great. 
I got to see all my friends again that I didn't normally see. Yeah, and you just get the work out of the way in the morning, and then you're kind of free to do what's up, and your parents kind of treat you like you've been in school all day. So it's like, you can do whatever you want now. Yep. Um, Back to the movie. So besides the fun I had watching the movie, I do think it's lacking some critical pieces that would strengthen the film. I did notice this was the last film that the writer wrote and got made so it was a bit of a career killer for him and the reviews aren't awful but they're certainly not good especially by disney standards yeah that's true what do you think of it re-watching it today re-watching it today i still enjoyed a lot of the aspects of it uh you know there's still there's still some heart there especially with henry the limo driver yeah and then couple of the family aspects of it but rethinking about it i mean some stuff just doesn't make any sense whatsoever (laughs) as far as quigley you know not really treating himself like an escaped convict and threatening bank managers and you know all that other good stuff yeah it seems they allude to the fact that biederman testified against quigley And Quigley is going to threaten his family if he doesn't launder the money for him. But I fail to see how any white-collar crime he might have committed compares to endangering the lives of many driving through a park. (laughs) Yeah, I... That scene always stuck out to me, too, as a kid. I mean, there was a few scenes that always stuck out to me in this movie as a kid, but this one was one of the bigger ones uh, because, yeah, they show no mercy driving through this park. They would have ran over anybody in their path. Oh, and they certainly seemed intent on um, doing away with Preston in the end. Oh, yeah, they would have killed that kid for sure. Yeah, once uh, uh, once they found out Mr. McIntosh, the pseudonym he uses, doesn't exist, though, uh, they they foolishly end up taking on the guise of... Uh, I, d- I did have a thought. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Do you think that this McIntosh tie-in was just a huge product placement for Apple at the time? Because, I mean, I don't know when Apple bought Disney. I don't, I don't know if that was later in the decade. I mean, I, they bought Pixar. Hmm. No. That's a pretty prominent name used in the movie that he gets from the computer yeah. itself. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Um, I actually don't. I thought Macintosh was just a really excellent name for a eccentric millionaire, you know? And he's just mm-hmm. he just goes by Macintosh. Like I thought that was pretty good and and easy for the script to work in, you know. So gotcha. I I, I am pretty cynical when it comes to that stuff, and would mm-hmm. usually probably say yes. But I e- even if it is, I think it works well enough. Yeah, it is a little too blatant. I would say. <laughs> yeah, not subtle in the slightest. Yeah. So. One odd aspect of the film is how they portray this relationship, if you will, between Preston and his uh, crush, a probably 20-year, his senior, undercover FBI agent. Yeah, she's at least 30 years old. (laughs) And and don't get me wrong, she's a 90s babe. Mm -hmm. But um, they... They play it a little weird. They they cross a couple of lines that 
I, I'm not comfortable with. And if the roles were reversed, this movie wouldn't have gotten made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely more than a couple of lines. <laughs> yeah. And a couple yeah. of uh, actions. Let's wait till we get to the end of the movie. So <laughs> Preston ultimately ends up going on spending sprees with the help of his uh with the help of his limo driver who's kind of a cross between uh John Candy and uh Chris Farley and he kind of looks like both of them too so it works he really tries throughout the film i think they could have wrote some better material for him how'd you feel about henry yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, I liked Henry. He was probably one of the most. What, what word would you use to describe him? Big hearted. Yeah, big guy, big heart for sure. I agree. <laughs> and now there is one little sticking point in that, an asterisk for me. So after Henry has um, enabled this kid, kind of what I'm getting at, into spending millions of a million dollars, he helps him set up a party for his birthday and his pseudonym, Mr. McIntosh, who is the uh, adult who actually has the money to keep his cover. This flimsy plot quickly falls apart as the party progresses. I, I comes, it comes crashing and burning down. <laughs> yeah, and then it all of a sudden, I think we found ourselves in another type of movie again. What, what, what were you feeling at the end? Oh yeah, it's super Home Alone esque. I mean, he just yeah, yeah. It's little kid versus bad guys and and traps, but this time he just utilizes all the toys and video games that he bought from the money he took from Quigley. <laughs> yeah, which is one thing I thought could have been strengthened was a couple more shots of let's say him raising and lowering the red thing, so it's established he knows how to use it before he drops it on Beaterman and. Something like that. I thought that was yeah. one weakness, but um, yeah, it, it, it turns into this ambush home alone romp at the end. And um, wh where do our villains end up? Well, I mean, they end up surrounded by the FBI. Which, as an adult, I think we all kind of knew they were going to swoop in. But um, eventually, Preston has the bad guys on the ropes, and he manages to pummel uh, Juice multiple times in the balls. And then also, I think he's appropriately named as he ends up not only in the river earlier, but in the pool during this segment. So Juice ends up in the drink twice. <laughs> and in the finale, Quigley is stuck in a steel ball and then somehow propelled very high into the air and into a pool. And mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that guy's, that guy's straight dead. He fell into a... Mm -hmm pool with a steel cage and it miraculously opened of course but and he did play dead to trick preston which actually which actually got him it it made me jump a little too i was <laughs> i knew he wasn't going to be dead because it's a family film but like i didn't expect him to jump up like that maybe i should uh now i don't want to give you guys the idea that i didn't enjoy this film i did have a lot of fun watching it on the surface level, I think I would have done different things with a million dollars and could have had a lot more fun with just that fancy computer that he had. <laughs> but I feel he never really learned a lesson or was given a chance to redeem himself in the film. Do you understand what I mean a bit? Yeah, I mean, what is there is very 
thin and surface level for the most part. I mean, he does realize that, yes, family is more important than money, but... Yeah, and I kind of wish we had an action, like that he was beholden to something, and maybe we saw how much money he was spending, and he eventually made the right or wrong choice to, you know, be selfish or put someone above him. And, you know, it comes down to his last dollars and he makes that right choice. I think that could have been more interesting and a stronger ending to the film. That's the main problem I had because his his dad's final speech almost shows that his dad learned more than Preston did. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that is true. It's a very, very good point. So when you watch the film... What would you have spent your million dollars on? When I was watching it when I was five, it was toys and video games, much like Preston. But again, I didn't even know the stuff that he bought even existed. Oh, you got to give me a, a, a game name or a series or a console. What was little Toby playing with? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, we <clears throat> we had, uh, I think we had a Super Nintendo at this time. So that was the hottest shit out there at the moment. So, <laughs> see, I probably would have had to uh, catch up with you a little bit. Uh, okay. I think we had a Sega at that point. So that was, you know, pretty old, but got the job done. Um, yeah. Yeah, can't lie. Probably mostly the same. But I think shortly after, because I saw it a little later, I was getting into cars. So I might have been able to do some good damage with a car. For sure. And uh, a chauffeur. I would say one thing that I wouldn't have bought that Preston did was a house. I don't think he realized the amount of work that goes into maintaining a home. Well, when you got a million dollars, I thought you weren't supposed to have to think about that stuff. But when you buy a, a castle, which which is now owned by um, Ro- Robert Romero. Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, which is now owned by Robert Rodriguez, you know, the director of uh, uh, Mandalorian and... Uh, I really enjoy the film Planet Terror, and he did that one. Planet Terror is great. Oh, it, it's great. Yeah. So he owns that castle now, which is in Texas, and you can kind of pick mm-hmm. up uh, some of the Texas vibes from the shirts and clothing that they wear. Um, yeah. W- what about today? If you adjusted for inflation, it's about $2 million. If you had to spend $2 million however you want today, no easy way out. Buy something cool. What what would you buy? That is a great question. Because, you know, I would say like, oh, buy a ton of cryptocurrency and, and don't write the keys down. Yeah, that's the easy way out. But no, I would probably uh, outfit a music studio and start a penetration testing business where you get paid to break into companies, which... I would do that anyways, but to get paid for it, you know. Do you need the two mil to start that penetration business? I think you could just go do it. I mean, that, that's kind of what I'm saying. Uh, I, I don't think they take kindly to poor folk just walking in the door. You got to have the polo and stuff to add the legitimacy. You gotcha. Know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of startup costs probably yeah, involved with that. The equipment. Uh, I, I would probably, yeah, I don't know. I'd definitely buy myself a nice fancy car. Yeah, solid. Uh, what what what's your ride looking like? Nowadays just just a nice Toyota Tacoma. <laughs> I like your style, man. Top of the line. I like your style. Yeah. You can stretch out that mill and get up there. Uh, I would also try and be cons- I was more thinking how would I blow it? Uh, okay. But um also, yeah, I I would tend to be more conservative about it. So, um 
at the very end, it's very strange that the lady FBI agent kisses the boy on the mouth. Yeah, this is uh, one of the scenes I definitely remember uh, watching it as a kid. And even even as a five, six-year-old, I thought it was kind of strange. Yeah. Uh, I didn't I just, really think about it a whole lot, you know, because I was a kid. But <laughs> I couldn't put myself in that position. And to compare it to Home Alone, isn't there a part where he, like, kind of flirts or, like, chats with an older lady? There's a couple instances in that in Home Alone where... And he's smooth. He kind of he sweet talks the 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 grocery store clerk girl and also the uh yeah uh the elf but it's never weird like it was in this film like no yeah yeah there's a difference between being smooth and this is just weird (laughs) yeah so i do understand that it was a 12 year old's wish fulfillment but i just also found it hard to relate because instead of having unrealistic expectations i was still in reality like no that that doesn't happen so yeah and um Mm. overall i thought it was a fantastic depiction of the fbi they commit crimes in open and they're largely inept and at the end (laughs) they arrest the wrong guy for the wrong crimes so yeah you know it seemed fair to me yeah yeah um and I love her line. I think Biederman tells someone they're fired and Shay goes, no, you're fired. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> and it's like, yo, he says he owns the bank. I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> Henry was just the man. I really, It would be really cool as a kid to have a mentor like that who had already like been through the bullshit and was like, you know. Yeah. Plus, he says the line, like, learn to say things like non-committal when he's teaching him about <laughs> yeah. dating, which Good is advice. hilarious. But he, he doesn't put up with other people's judgments, and he's trying to teach him that. Yeah. I really think Biederman's still the show in this movie. You're right. Just, just just his, I mean, just his line delivery and everything, especially when Preston shows up to collect the $1 million. Just, would you like some juice? <laughs> No, thanks. I'm not thirsty. Perfect. Yeah. His inability (laughs) because of nervousness to meet his eyes comes off as unwillingness and totally gangster. And then they show these close-ups of Biederman's face, like sweating and contorted. And it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just straight up nostrils and like his upper lip. Yeah. It's like (laughs) terrible framing, but he kills it. He gives it his all for sure. And he does the same when the, the real Jew shows up to collect the real million dollars he just puts out all these the eagle has landed the chicken is in the pot (laughs) oh and uh one of my favorite movies is the sting from 1973 and i think that thing he does when he rubs his nose indicating that like the job's done i'm pretty sure it's a reference to that film Uh, i didn't catch that at least i think i don't know if it's from something before that like i wasn't alive in the 70s i don't know uh yeah that there, those were probably the most memorable scenes for me, and the montages were fun. I certainly wouldn't have spent so much money on terrible suits. That's redundant. But I also wondered, like, he still has assets, right? The money isn't just gone. Yeah. Which is a like, if you wanted to teach kids a little bit about money, maybe. I mean, that's not the point, but it, I thought that was weird. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of hard to liquidate a house, but... <laughs> I mean, they do... Which is another thing 
when they were bidding on the house, uh, when him and Quigley went into the bidding war on the house, when he was using the text to speech software on his Mac, he, he offers, I think, two twenty or something, two forty thousand, two hundred forty thousand dollars plus closing costs. But it's a cash deal, and I don't believe there's any closing costs involved in a cash deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good eye, dude. Unless he was paying. That. Uh, no, I take that back. Unless he was paying the the, eight, the sellers, the agent. Oh, okay. Uh, agent fees. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe that's just loose speak for you know all the other fees. But um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I felt like it went from two to three. Like he says two, then Quigley counters and then his mom yells, oh, back at three. And, and then he yeah. goes, 300. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like, dude, you, you could have been OK if you didn't, uh, you know, just if you didn't just lower your bid and maybe save 50K. I don't know. <laughs> I love Preston's delivery on that too. After his mom says three, he's like, "Your mom, you're killing me on this deal." Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was weird seeing him as all of a sudden a surrogate adult, where he's looking at stock charts or whatever. <laughs> but I did enjoy a lot of those things uh, where he does he he where he's yelling at the guys on top of the house. I need this over here. Hey, pick up the pace, or. Or when the dad breaks character once or twice was pretty funny. Like, we'll see you later, pops. Don't call me that. <laughs> it's like where it's not even a joke that's funny in any way. That's a dad line you don't cross. Yeah, exactly. I forget what his other ones were, though. He had some funny ones. Oh, oh, um, something about a woman. And he's like, that lucky dog. <laughs> the wife just <laughs> glares at him super funny well, speaking of jokes uh the mom had a savage one when he was first when the dad was setting up the macintosh for uh his brother's business and he's like this machine will do anything but teach you how to make love to a woman and his wife comes in and says well I'm, now i know which program to buy for your father for christmas <laughs> i totally missed that that is a yeah that's a third degree burn right there yeah it was a very quick quip but uh Man, it hit. <laughs> yeah, they have to be sneaky. Yeah, with those ones. But wow, that's that's funny. Despite the ending falling apart a little bit and lacking, like I said, a true like moral choice from Preston, I still think it holds up okay. It's not at three ninjas level. <laughs> but I still had fun watching it. And if I was stuck watching it with a little kid, I wouldn't be uh, cringing or anything. Yeah, it is. It is a very loose plot, loose and fast plot. You know, it sticks it all together for the most part. I mean, it's definitely going to be ridiculous because they, they had to make it work. What 12 year old out there is committing check fraud? You yeah. Know, who's handing out blank checks this, this you know, flagrantly. The <laughs> Yeah, I don't exactly know the legality of what having a blank check handed to you is, but I'm certain that it's not legal to print $1 million on there with your scanner. But I do wonder yeah, no, what it's all about he would be actually liable for if um, the criminals didn't step in and say, I'm Macintosh at the end, uh, foolishly. Yeah. Well, I mean, considering he was a minor, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, definitely getting some jail time if he's over 18, but he was 12. So yeah, I, I don't think he'd be, <clears throat> well, I think they set the movie up well enough that he wouldn't be on the hook for any conceivable circumstance, but 
Yeah, that that's the thing. It's a it's a very smart plot device, but the execution just kind of was a little flimsy. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. I think it could have been tightened up a lot. And if we were to uh, bring in a script doctor, I would have them add my subplot. And I think um, think you and I would agree that a uh, puppy love love interest, or perhaps a uh, peck on the cheek. And uh, a look at the camera from Preston at the end might work better than what we were given. It'd be a lot more appropriate, that's for sure. (laughs) I don't know if it was charming then or what I thought as a kid exactly, but it just doesn't seem right today. It seems very weird, but enough about that. Um, (laughs) Overall, enjoyed the film. Thought it was fun to revisit, and I, you know, I ate some uh, cinnamon toast crunch cereal while I was watching it. It, it was a lot of fun. Anything from you, Toby? Oh, I think that's all I got. I think next week we're gonna have to be moving away from just kids' films, and we're gonna talk about adult ones too at some point. But we are going to be covering a completely different aspect of culture next week when we talk about our favorite experiences at the arcade. Hopefully we don't find ourselves relating to Preston too much early in the film, but um, we'll be talking about our favorite games, locations, winning prizes, shooting light guns, why we miss them, and we'll throw some history and facts your way. So be sure to check in with us next week. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. If you are on YouTube, please like and subscribe. We're on Twitter at Raised by the 90s, 90s at the end. We'll be posting announcements, links to episodes, um, all sorts of stuff there, and uh, memes relevant to every episode. So, those graphic design skills I acquired from changing my report card did not go completely to waste. So, <laughs> check them out. I think that wraps it up for our second episode of Raised by the 90s. Be sure to come check us again next Tuesday, and we'll be covering the Arcade Experience. Take it easy. See ya.